Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on, Harbor, make a little noise. Let me know you're with me. Come on. Come on, wake up. There you go. There you go. Man, I want an awesome worship set we just had. I'm so thankful we get to do that, spend a little time together worshiping and hanging out. This might be your first time here at Harbor, so let me say welcome. I know there's some of you in the overflow room. Thank you for doing that. Be willing to do that. Thank you for coming out. Thanks for being here. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church, and uh, we're into the second week of a series we're calling Travel Plans. Now, if you've never been to a church like this or had a, done a series, the whole point of the series is just to help you remember, and we try to look at common things throughout Scripture. And so last week, we, we looked at somebody who went on a trip and did it the right way. I believe that God has a trip, a, a spiritual journey, a, a set of steps for you to take that would, that would be a personal blessing to you. Let me explain this way. I believe that God has a very specific plan for your life. He created you uniquely. He uniquely designed you to be, uh, to be used in a way that only you can be used. He knows every hair on your head, the Bible says. So for you to step into that, to step into what it is that God's called you to do, is an incredibly important part of this journey. Your spiritual journey is God saying, hey, here's what I have for you to do. And as you can stay on that path, man, God will bless that. The problem is we don't always do that well. We looked at last week, we looked at Abraham and God just picked a nobody. Out of all the people on the planet, he just picked a nobody. He said, Abraham, you follow me. I'm, I just want you to start walking on a journey. I won't even tell you where you're going yet. Just start walking and I'll make you into a great nation. And Abraham became the patriarch, the beginning of the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And Abraham does it right. Abraham says, yes, Lord. And he goes without even knowing where it is that God's calling him. I struggle with that. I want to know the end before I start walking and trusting God. And that's why I get it wrong a lot. And so I thought, man, as much as I love seeing Abraham get it right, maybe today we could look at somebody who got it wrong. Because <laughs> I just resonate with that. Like I read the stories, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And God's like, yeah, it's because you keep doing it wrong, Josh. I'm like, oh, yeah, might be it. There's a lot of things uh, topic-wise that we could speak on. I really felt like God was leading me to speak on this topic in particular and I don't know why, but I believe somebody here really needs to hear it. And it's the idea of, there are a lot of ways that we go wrong. There's a lot of ways that we miss the mark, that we miss the, the path that God has for us. But one of the ways I think we do it most oftenly is in the area of relationships. We mess up relationships so much and it takes us away from God's best for us. And I think it's because it's a master plan from the devil. Now, when it comes to like people's life having a plan for them, God specifically has a plan for your life. And, and, and if you will stay with it, you will, you will see more of God's blessings than if you do your own thing. There's a guy in the Bible who had a very specific plan for his life. God was gonna use him in some powerful ways. And yet, the, the road of relationships took him away from God's best. If you wanna find the story, we're gonna look, we're gonna start in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament in, Gen in Judges chapter 13. In Judges 13, this guy, we don't even know his mom's name. We just know that his parents were unable to have kids. And his mom is heartbroken about being barren and she's out in this field and God sends the angel of the Lord to talk to her. And this is what the angel says in Judges 13 verse five. Lady, you're gonna become pregnant Good news, you're gonna give birth to a son, awesome. But the plan that God has for his life, very specifically, is that 
he's going he's gonna to need to fall into a certain, a certain criteria that God has for him. And the angel says, his hair must never be cut. He will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. What is this saying here? This is, this is a, if you don't know the book of Judges, the book of Judges, it tells a repeating story of the people of God, the Israelites following God, and then their heart drifts away from God and they start to worship false gods. And when they drift away from God, other nations, they begin to oppress them and persecute them and enslave them. And then after they go through some heartache and some, some turmoil, they turn their hearts back to God and say, God, we're so sorry, forgive us. And then God raises up a judge. And so the book of Judges is, is the stories, different compilations of the men and women who are called to be judges to help the Israelites out of persecution, out of slavery, out of struggles. So as we look into this, as we look at this story, the story of Samson, who's the guy we just heard, if you've never heard of that before, he is, he is prophesied to be a judge, to be a rescuer. And maybe you heard the name Samson before. Um, some of you have gone, grown up in church, you might have heard Samson. Samson, uh, a lot of scholars think that early Greek mythology based the stories of Hercules off of Samson. Samson was known for his strength. This, this bro had like muscles upon muscles. I mean, he was strong. He, he goes to a city, they try to lock him in and to punish the city, he rips the gates and the doors off of the city. And I'm not talking like you're like picket fence, kind of fence door. He, I mean, I'm talking massive gates. He rips them off the hinges and carries them on his back and sits them on top of the hill. And it's like, lock this in guys. I mean, like he picks up the, the jawbone of a donkey and he fights a thousand Philistines and kills them in battle and doesn't even have a sword. This dude's a man's man, a real he, him, if you will. Like he's just, dude is just real jacked, real strong, real into like what it is. And this is, this is what he's known for. And yet he royally messes up. And it's not because of an arrow or a spear or an army. It's because of a girl. It's because of romance. It's because of a misstep in his relationships. Now, today's going to be a struggle and it's probably one of the reasons I don't do this very often, um, because a lot of you will want to tune me out. A lot of you are like, well, I'm, I'm married, so I don't need to hear a message on relationships. I don't know if you know this, marriage is a relationship. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm single, and I'm fine with it. I don't want you to hear something on dating. Well, maybe you never will date again. Maybe that's, never, that's not part of it, maybe. But maybe your friend will, and he or she is making some bad choices, and God has you here so that you can be a voice of encouragement or wisdom in your life. Some of you, you're happily married or happily divorced or happily whatever. Um, your kids and or your grandkids need somebody who's going to tell them God's way for dating and relationships, not what the world has for them. Some of you, you're single and ready to mingle, and today is going to be right up your alley. But wherever you are, I want you to see how, how much Satan can misuse relationships. Many of you will feel like I'm picking on you and I'm not. I've got to draw attention to it. And as much as you might feel like, oh, he's just trying to kick me, I'm not. I'm trying to help the people who haven't made the same mistakes you have. I'm trying to help prevent some of that pain. So if you're here and you're like, oh, I wish somebody had told me that 20 years ago, then you should be the ones nodding your head yes, clapping, saying amen. Because there's younger people in here that are like, oh, that's so weird. I'm not doing it. He's so wrong. And they don't understand, they don't understand the heartache that's coming for them if they don't, if, if they don't, fi they don't fix some of this. 
Seriously, the world has got us so twisted when it comes to romance and relationships, you gotta pull your head out of your butt. If you don't get this right, Satan loves to use this to mess people up. Look what happens to Samson. Strongest man on the planet. Here's what we see in the first story. Judges 14, verse one. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Why does Timnah matter? Because he didn't grow up in Timnah. He's from the village of Zorah. He grew up, was born and raised in Zorah, and he goes to Timnah, and the girl catches his eye, and so when he returns home, he told his father and his mother, hey, there's a young Philistine, a young Philistine woman in Timnah that caught my eye, and I want to marry her. (laughs) Samson, what's her name? I don't know her name, (laughs) but I'm in love. She gives me the butterflies. This is how important it is. I want to marry her. Go get her for me. Now, that might sound weird, but in the context, the culture of this day, having your parents arrange a marriage for you, that was really common. He says, go get her for me. And his father and his mother, well, they object. They're like, hey, hey, you, ha- you took a Nazarite vow. There's a lot of things. Your hair shouldn't be cut. You shouldn't be touching unclean things. You definitely shouldn't marry outside of, outside of your people, what God has for you. And by the way, even if you didn't take a Nazarite vow, you're also commanded to honor your father and mother, and he doesn't do that either. They say, hey, they objected. Isn't there even one woman? Isn't there one girl? Isn't there one nice girl that you could find among all your Israelite friends, all those people that you could marry? Why do you have to go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? You know what his answer is? Go get her for me, dad. She looks good to me. Oh, you don't understand. All the things you said about what God wants for me, yeah, that's good. I know. I'm not supposed to date somebody who's not a believer. I'm not supposed to date somebody who isn't following. I know I'm not supposed to, but they're so cute. (laughs) Said nobody in this room. (laughs) Here's the thing, and why this is important, because it speaks to a, a common occurrence in Samson's life. And I spoke on this last time I spoke on Samson, and I made this point, but I wanted to come back to this point because it illustrates the topic of romance. Zorah and Timnah are six miles apart. They've done studies, and the average human with the average stride of between two and two and a half feet would take roughly 2,000 steps to walk a mile. That's on average what it would take you to walk a mile. You'd take 2,000 steps. If Samson meets that criteria, then it took him 12,000 steps to walk those six miles. 12,000 steps in the wrong direction. And it speaks to a pattern in his life. Because in Judges chapter 16, verse 1, it says, One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza. You hear a lot about that right now, by the way. He went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Nate's not looking about marriage anymore. This isn't about a commitment. This is about a one-night stand. He just wants to have some fun. Gaza isn't six miles away. Gaza is... 45 miles from his home. 90,000 steps. Home Slice walked 90,000 steps in the wrong direction because of hormones. (laughs) Our illustration today is about somebody who at any point in their life could have said, this is not God's best for me. I'm gonna go back to what God has for me. But every single one of those 90,000 steps, well, this is fun. Everybody else is doing it. What's a little sex? This doesn't hurt. She's so cute. 
Anywhere along the way, they could have stopped and said, you know what, this, this is not God's best for my life. This is what I want, this is not what he wants. At anywhere along the way, they could have said, yeah, my love life shouldn't supersede my spiritual call to know God. But he didn't. And most of us don't either. Why? Well, look at the next, because this is, this is an intentional trap from Satan. The world plays right into it. Everything in our culture today is designed to, to mess up God's plan. That's what the world does. That's what our flesh does. That's what the devil does. Look at the next couple of verses in that same story. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse four. Sometime later, Samson fell in love. Oh, that's what the heart wants. Fell in love with a woman named Delilah. You know that word means temptation in their language? Uh, who lived, Delilah lived in the valley of Sorek. And the rulers of the Philistines, those are the bad guys, they went to her and they said, hey, we want you to entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong. We want to defeat him. We want to know how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. And each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, by the way, if this was true love, this would never happen. But what most people say is true love is just lust. And people are, when you're in lust, you're just looking for what you get out of it. And sometimes that's because that person makes you happy. And sometimes because it meets a physical need. And sometimes it's just going to result to how much money you get paid. And Delilah, as much as she loved Samson, she loved silver more. And she entices him to tell her his secret. She cuts his hair. And the Philistines come in, they enslave him, they poke his eyes out, and they make him act as a slave in a grind mill as punishment for all the things he was doing. I want you to look at this verse, though. We want to know how he can be overpowered. The Bible says in First Peter that you have an enemy that's named the devil, and Satan hates you so much that all he thinks about is a way to destroy your life. It says he's a lion looking for someone to devour, is what the Bible says. And when he's looking to devour you, what he's thinking is, what, over, what would overpower her? See, when the enemy, hear me, when the enemy knows that God's hand is on you and God has a specific plan for you, that if you were to become the man or the woman that God created you to be, if you were to walk on the path that God had designed for you, that you would do some heavy damage to their agenda. And when the enemy sees that, the thing that they think is, how can I mess her up? How can I jack up his life? It's not hard for a lion looking to devour somebody. And the question is, how do they get overpowered for the, for the devil to look at your life and go, all I have to do is give her a boyfriend. All she needs, all she needs is some cute guy. All he needs is a girl to bat, his, bat her eyes at him. And he's, he's toast, man. I can overpower them with a very easy distraction because they do not know how to stay on God's path when it comes to romance. And he licks his lips. He's He's chomping at the bit to devour you when it comes to this category. Some of you, you're here and your story is filled with a lot of pain because you never heard this. So help me help others today. If we look at how Samson messed up his life and God's hand was on Samson, and by the way, God even redeemed Samson's mistakes. And so those of you who have made mistakes, don't give up. God is still good and still in control. But when it comes to this topic, so many, and I mean so many people are messing it up. It's 
in my opinion, it is one of, if not the worst problem in, in our church amongst like just counseling situations. Marriages and relationships who are messing up in this area because it's so easy for the devil to get us off of God's path. On the journey that God has for us, our relationships seem to mess it up the most. So if we see Samson do it wrong, then what hope do we have? If he was the strongest and he messed it up, well, God actually gives us that. So today, here's what I want. I want you to look at the right steps that you should take for your romantic journey. I want you to look at the right steps. Now, once again, don't tune me out because you're already in a relationship. You need this more than anybody. Don't tune me out because you're single and you're happy being single. You still need to know this. This, is, this understanding the heart of God will help you understand how you walk in a better relationship with him. And if you want a relationship with other people, which by the way, you're called into relationships, not, maybe not romantic, some of you might be called to stay single, but you're called into relationships with people. God's designed you for community. So even if we're not, even if some of this doesn't apply to you in your romantic situation, I bet you a lot of it applies to you in your social, your interaction with your family, your friends, your coworkers. So lean into that. We're gonna look at the right steps for your romantic journey, or if you have no interest in that, just put your relationships. If we wanna understand how God wants it to be, how it's supposed to be, then let's go back before we messed it up. Before sin entered the picture, before our flesh and the world and the culture became so driven at messing up our love life, how did God intend for us to be? How did God intend for it to look? If you go back all the way to the book of Genesis in the beginning when God created everything, before there was sin, it was perfect. And we get a glimpse, we get a small glimpse of what God actually wanted for our relationships. In Genesis chapter two, God's creating everything. He's creating and he's building up things and he's speaking things into existence. And it says this in Genesis chapter two, verse eight, the Lord planted a garden of Eden in the east and there he placed the man that he had made. The man that he had made was Adam. Adam's the very first person that was created. And you need to understand, God speaks everything into existence. The galaxies, the, the planets, the stars, the, the moon. He brings the earth, the atmosphere, the water, the land, the birds, the fish. He brings, speaks all that. And then he stops and he doesn't just create one more thing. When he creates human beings, the Bible says that he breathed into that creation the breath of life because we are the only creation, humans, mankind is the only creation made in the image of God. And when he created that man, he named him Adam and he put him in the garden. A couple of verses later, it says in verse uh, 15, the Lord placed him in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So now God gave him a job. The purpose that Adam was created for was a, was a relationship with God. Same reason that we are here. We are designed by our creator for a relationship with him. He then took that purpose and he gave him a calling. He said, hey, I'm calling you now to live in this garden and take care of these trees and name these animals. When I say tend the garden, bro didn't have much to worry about. The curse hadn't happened, so there was no vines or thorns. All he had to do was eat fruit all day. <laughs> Tough, really bad job. Um, you know, and he, he's got to eat food and name animals and hang out with God. It says every night, uh, they would walk through the garden together. So in the evenings, they, he would get to hang out with God and walk with God, talk with God. During the day, he would eat fruit and hang out with animals and do whatever. I don't know, ride a cheetah or something. I don't know. He's, he's hanging out, he's having fun. But here, look at how God brings about relationships between humans. In verse 18, it says this. Now, I want you to watch the verbiage because we're gonna come back. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God who had formed the ground, all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky, he brought all the animals to the man, to Adam, to see what Adam would call him. 
And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And at last the man exclaimed, Woo, thank you, Lord, finally. That's what I'm talking about. I knew there was one out here like, that looked like me. I knew that. This, this, is, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this, this whole passage explains marriage, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined together to his wife and the two are united in one. This is the creation, the invention of marriage. This holy ordinance that God designed. Now you might say, well, that's not my, my experience or that's not my thing. I'm just telling you how God intended it to be. Long before we messed it up and perverted it up with all of our desires and all of our sin and all that stuff, this was God's plan for how it should look. And before we messed it up, we see a couple of things of how God intended relationships to go. First off, I see when I look back at this story, if, we're gonna, if, we're, if we'd rather do it like Adam instead of how we tend to do it, which is like Samson, if you wanna take the right steps, you need to know this. You have to start walking in trust of God's design, not of your desires. You're gonna to have to start trusting in God's design for your life, not your desires. How do, what do I mean by that? Tell me who it is that got lonely. Well, Adam, how, well, at what point do you ever see Adam say he's lonely? Go back to, the verse, go back to verse 18. Who says they're lonely? The Lord God said. Do you understand that? God came to Adam and goes, hey, Adam, you're lonely. And I think Adam went, what's lonely? <laughs> God, I'm having a blast, bro. This is great, man. I'm eating, I'm eating all, these, all this great food. I'm naming, I named that one a zebra. Check this one out. This one I'm calling a platypus. going to mess with people. It's freaking great. I love it. It's awesome. God, we hang out every night. I'm loving life. What do you mean I'm, I'm, I'm lonely? And God says, I actually have something I want to add to your life because I've got another plan for you. I don't see Adam. This sucks. And these animals are boring and I'm so lonely. And God, I just watched a Hallmark movie and my heart is just craving somebody special. Can you just give me, I just need a girlfriend. Guys, really need a girlfriend. I do not see Adam whining and complaining and moping about his singleness. I don't see Adam trying to fix his singleness. Because it's God's design for my life, not my desires for my life. How do I know that? Well, did you read along with me? Look at verse 21. God is the one that caused him to fall asleep. Verse 22, God is the one that made the woman for the man. God is the one who brought the woman to the man. See, all of that is God's design. What I don't see Adam do is be like, hey, God. Twice it said there was no helper, no mate that was right for him. 
See, if Adam acted like most of us, he would have had a conversation that went like this. God, I just need to come over here for a second. <sighs> this is giraffe. <laughs> and she's not really right for me, but I think if you fixed her up. <laughs> now, God, you're, God, you're amazing and you do miracles, you know. I don't see... He didn't bring orangutan and say, God, you're the, you're the worker of all things and you can do a work in her life. And if you could just, you know, laser surgery some hair off and, and fix her up a little bit. Now I'm joking, but stay with me. The point is this. He didn't bring a project to God. He didn't. He didn't go outside of God's best for him and say, well, I'm lonely and I'm desperate and I'm impatient, so I'm going to take somebody that I shouldn't be with and ask God to fix them. And pastor, why did you say it like that? I don't know, because I'm the pastor and I don't know how many times in a given day I can hear somebody say, hey, I want to invite you to, come. I just want to introduce you. This is the person that I forced to come today. I'm like, they do not want to be here. <laughs> oh, you don't understand. Uh, I'm going to missionary date them to the Lord. That's not God's plan. That is not God's best for you. Now, hold up. I know for some people it worked out. Like, oh, I know somebody and she dated him and then he got saved and now they have a great marriage and it's great. I know he, he went out with her and she was kind of, you know, she's kind of not really a good girl, but then like she got her life together and then and now they're happy together. That's awesome. And we'll speak to that in a minute about how God can take our mistakes and turn them to good. That is not prescriptive. That is a testimony that they can use to give praise to God. That is not an example for you to follow. I had a friend who got bit by a rattlesnake. He did not end up losing his hand. It went through a lot of pain, but he ended up not dying and not losing a limb. That's great for him. That doesn't mean everybody should go get bit by a rattlesnake. He did something that he shouldn't have done and it turned out okay but that doesn't mean everybody should go do that. And some of you are like, well, I know somebody and they didn't do the way things God, God told them to do, so I'm gonna do it and it'll be work out for me. That's a horrible, horrible plan. Why don't you instead, hey, some of you are not nodding your heads, yes, and it's really upsetting me as your pastor because there's people in here that are like, yeah, I'll just do whatever I want. If they were being honest with you, if they were being honest right now, they would say, yeah, he's right. I wish I had saved myself a ton of heartache. I'm not saying that God can't do something and redeem something. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that he has a plan that if you'll stick with his plan, it will be better for you than if you do things your own way. God still redeemed Samson. Samson was an idiot and God still used him and saved him. And that's, that's the only hope I have. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I should just go do all the same dumb mistakes and keep trying to put God in a place where he has to fix all my, my poor choices. Adam said, like, God, I'm just, God, Adam was just living the life that God had called him to and was doing his thing. And you'd say, well, if it's God's design and not my desires, I thought the Bible said that if I, if I ask, God will give me my desires. You're misquoting it. What the Bible actually says, if you want to look at it, it's in Psalms 37, verse 4. The Bible says, first take delight in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. What is the order of operation there? It's God first. See, we love the second part. Dear God, give me somebody with Ryan Reynolds' face and, and Brad Pitt's body. I just would love to like, have this whole criteria, right? I don't, I don't know what your thing is, but whatever. Um, that's what my wife asked for. That's what she got me. Um, 
not that funny. Uh, this, this, we love the second part. God, give me what I want. But he says, actually, he's like, if you trust my design for you, I will begin to work in your heart so that your desires shift towards what I have best for you. And now all of a sudden, I don't desire somebody who's a smoke show. What I desire is somebody who's actually gonna be pursuing God more than they pursue me because now I know that's a healthy relationship for me to be in. Romans 15 says it this way in verse 13. I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you're awesome? Because your heart knows what it wants? No, because you trust in him. Then you overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to know why many of your marriages today have no hope, have no peace, and no joy? It's because you don't know the God, the source of hope. You're not trusting in him, you're trusting in you. And the world tells you that whatever your heart wants, it's okay, go date that loser, they'll turn out all right because your heart loves them. The Bible says your heart is wicked and stupid and that you make a lot of dumb choices. I don't like this message very much. I don't like preaching it, to be honest with you, because all it does is remind me of how stupid I was. Now, by God's grace, he has made some really great things happen in my life. And I love being married. I love my family. And man, I wish that I hadn't messed up so much between there, where I am now and where I used to be. Yeah. I will, I'll speak back to the hope, and there is hope. But we got to go back to where you're trusting. Your desires or God's design. That speaks to, the, to those of you who have been married for a long time. Are you still trying to have your desires of your husband, of your, of your wife? And I don't mean like loving, I mean like fixing them. Like, God, you got to do this. You gotta, if they would just pick up their freaking socks. Like, are you still trying to put your changes on people instead of saying, God, I'm trusting that what you have for me. Here's what some of you need to do. You just need to get to this place in your heart. God, just do a work in me to prepare me for the person that I believe you're working on for me. Instead of saying, God, I need this, I need this. God, make me into the person who can receive a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Make me into the person who can receive a husband or a wife. Make me into the kind of person who can be a good dad or be a good mom. Don't give me a kid and then let me stumble through all this. Turn me right now, work on me right now so that I might be ready to receive a blessing you have from me. Most of us just fall into it and be like, oh wow, I screwed this up. What if, what if we just follow God's plan for our life when we're in high school, instead of dating just like out of our minds and throwing away all the things that are valuable and precious and just, just because everybody else is doing it, we're gonna do it. How about you actually save that, give it to God and say, God, work in me so that when I'm ready, when I'm ready, I'll be able to receive and move into your blessings for me. And what that does is it takes pressure off of you. What it does is it allows you to find God's best for you. How do I know that? Because we see where Adam is when Eve shows up. And this is our second point. You have to learn to walk towards a purpose, not a proposal. I just need a wife. I just need a husband. I just know you need to find completeness in God. Adam did not need Eve to make him happy. Let that sit there for a second. Adam was happy and content long before Eve showed up. Some of you need to write this down. You'll be ready to date when you don't need to. You'll be ready to date when you don't have to date. 
See, Adam didn't need Eve to make his life complete and finished and whole and happy. He was good with God. And God said, now you're ready for me to add to it. You're good where you are, and now you can receive Eve. He brought Eve to Adam. Adam was doing what? Working in the garden, keeping busy, doing what God had called him to do. He had a purpose, walk with God. He had a calling, tend the garden. He had a job, name the animals. Let me stop there for a second. It's really important. If you want a date, that you should have a job. <laughs> Ladies, don't date that guy that doesn't have a job. Because if he's borrowing mo money from mom, that's not a real date, okay? No money, no honey. Just a thought. Save yourself some pain. God gives Adam all of that. And here's what Adam does. Adam leans in to what it is that God has called him to do. And he finds, he finds his value being the man that God created him to be. He didn't need Eve to bring him that value. Why does that matter, Pastor? Because the world has told you that you're missing something. And that something is another person, is a romantic partner. I don't care if you're homosexual, heterosexual, pansexual, asexual. The world tells you that your sex life, your romance, that partner, or even a friendship, that's what you're needing to make yourself complete. And so people just keep pursuing, 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 pursuing something that God says, no, no, I didn't call you. I didn't create you. I didn't design you to find your purpose and your completedness and your wholeness in another person. I have that. You do have a God-shaped hole in your life. And until God, a relationship with Jesus Christ, fills you up. You will never be complete. You will never have total purpose. You will never find the true calling in your life. You will keep substituting other people in there, and then you'll be disappointed when they fall short. See, what happens is Satan tempts you that you are missing out on that person, and then when you assign it to that person, you've already, you've already put a toxic element into a relationship from the very beginning because you need that person to build you up. This is why some of your marriages are hurting so much. It's because you married the person who, who just makes you complete. That's not a good reason to get married. It's actually a bad reason. I do a lot of weddings. I've done hundreds of weddings. I hate it when the, the bride and groom are like, let me write our own, our own vows. Jerry Maguire, you complete me. I know some of you did it. It's fine. You complete me. That's a horrible thing that Jerry Maguire like really popularized, that stupid movie. But like, it's this idea that gets perpetuated out throughout culture that like, man, you need that other person. Here's why this is bad. I understand it feels good. You're like, it feels good for them to be that. No, what you need, you don't need somebody who completes you. You need somebody who compliments you in your walk with God. Why does that matter so much, pastor? Well, if you put somebody in a role that is intended for God, you have put a pressure on them that they cannot live up to. Your husband, your wife cannot stand up under the pressure of needing to be the one who makes you whole, who makes you feel complete, who brings you value and purpose. And that's what the world tells you. If you just find the right person, then you'll have, then you'll have purpose, then you'll have value, then you'll be loved, then you'll know that you have a worth, then you'll have a calling. Do you know what you're saying to all the single people, all the widowed people? You're telling them what, they don't have value? You're telling them they don't, well, no, not, not them, but just it's for me, I need to be whole. No, you need Jesus. Yeah. And what you have, listen to me, a lot of the teenagers, you don't get this because it's all about, well, I just need to have fun. No, no, no. 
The, the happiness and the fun, we'll talk about that in a second, that comes after finding completeness in somebody. And if you mess it up when you're a teenager, you're gonna mess it up when you're 30. And I talk to people who mess it up when they're 30 and they're messing it up right now when they're 50. And I'm talking to people who are in their 70s and 80s and they still do not understand godly dating because they have not ever wrapped themselves around the idea that God says, put me first and then don't put that pressure on them. Now, I love Kaylee. And as much as I love my wife, Kaylee, I don't need to be the thing that completes her. Now, if I'm insecure, I will enjoy that role. And many of you don't like me preaching this because you're sitting next to a person who considers you the person who makes them whole and you don't like me saying this, but that's because you're a narcissist. And what you want is you want to be the rescuer for somebody. And that's not your role. God didn't send you to rescue somebody. He sent Jesus. Your job is to be whole and complete in Christ. And if I put Kaylee in a spot where she has to complete me, she has to be my everything, I've actually put her as a hurdle between me and God. And that's not healthy for her. And if she does it to me, even if it makes me feel good, I'm, I'm, I'll be it, babe. I'm, I'm the thing that makes everything possible, yeah. I've actually put myself as a barrier between her and God. And that doesn't help me in my relationship with God. And by the way, I cannot live up to that. You cannot live up to that. As good as it feels to be the person who rescues somebody, ultimately, when they find out that you're only human, you will disappoint them. You ever see a marriage that started off with, I just love them so much, everything about them, I love everything, the way their hair just blows in the wind, the way, the way they smell, everything about them, they just make my, my heart just flutters, I'm around them, I just get like goosebumps, I'm like on a swing, just like, oh, it's great. And then like three months later, I hate their face, the way they breathe. Oh my gosh, I can't stand to be. How did you go from this level of love to this level of hate? Talk to somebody who's divorced in here. Well, they got with it. everything was great for a while. Yeah, because you were looking for completeness. You were looking for them to make you happy. You were looking for, you, you, you cared more about the proposal than you cared about the purpose that God had put on your life. Got a lot of people coming to my office going, Pastor, I just keep, I just, I just keep finding all the, all the wrong people. I keep dating losers. I just keep dating you know, the worst. And they they have these stories about all the broken people. I just, this girl after this girl, after this girl, this guy, after this guy, after this guy. What, what is wrong with me? You're bleeding and you're jumping in the ocean and you're surprised that you're attracting sharks. See, you're hurting and you're incomplete and you're looking for somebody else to fill. So you're getting into this dating game incomplete and you're looking for them to fill that gap. And what happens, and here, by the way, this is not me putting you down. Don't, don't think, every single one of us are broken. All of us are imperfect. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. But see, as long as I don't go to God to fix that, and I keep trying to use my job and my money and my personality and a girlfriend or whatever to fix the brokenness in me, I will always be bleeding out, and I will always be attracting the wrong stuff in. And what tends to happen is broken people tend to attract other broken people. You're incomplete. You're looking for somebody to make you feel better. I'm incomplete. Now, what causes it? Some of you were abused. 
Some of you had stuff happen to you. Some of you never saw a healthy relationship. Your parents were, were divided and you, that's, you've never seen good love. You've never received it. Somebody broke your heart. Somebody, somebody really, I don't, know, I don't know what caused it. Some of you, it's just that you're lonely or you're bitter, but there's something broken in you and you're not giving it to God to be healed. You're looking for another person to fix it. And here's what happens a lot of times. And this is why I'm passionate about it. And it, I'm angry because I hate what the devil is doing. There are some of you that you don't believe what I'm saying right now and you're gonna keep dating people and you're gonna keep giving them a power over you that they shouldn't have. You, know, you wanna know why you can't break up with her even though she keeps cheating on you? You know why you can't break up with him even though he's abusive? It's because you've given them the power to complete you, to make you whole. You've bought this lie that you need them to do something for you. So even though there's clear signs that they're not the person you should be with, there's clear signs that they are not God's best for you. You feel trapped in this relationship. And if that's not you, you probably know somebody who does this. You're, you're held hostage in a relationship that's toxic and bad, but it's because you're incomplete you're missing something and you're giving them the power to be the one who saves you. It's a power they can't handle. It's a power they don't deserve. And most of the time, it'll be a power that they abuse. And that's why so many people are broken and hurting. But nobody besides an occasional pastor is saying this. Parents, teach your kids what I'm saying. Friends, stand up to your friends and tell them, I don't care what crap you've been reading in a romance novel. Here's what God says about the right way to do it and be a true friend to somebody. Pick up your game, married couples, and stop living the life. Even if you got married to somebody who you thought would complete you, and now after the honeymoon's over, you're like, well, they don't really complete me like I thought. They actually, yeah, they're sucking the energy out of me. They're actually not great. I guess I should divorce them. No, no, no. You're in it now. You're in it now. God's, God hates divorce. He says it. Now, are there occasions? Sure, and we can talk about that. But God's best is now that you're in it. God created marriage. When he put Adam and Eve together, he was showing a picture of how God loves his church. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, and Christ died for the church. He laid down his life. A husband should be so sacrificially loving that there's nothing that would get in the way of him loving his bride. And the bride, the church, us, are supposed to be so submissive and on board with whatever it is that our, our groom, that, that Christ has for us, that we're saying, hey, I'm in it with you. And together, it's this beautiful picture. But what Satan does is like, yeah, let me pull husbands and wives apart so they look nothing like the picture that God was trying to paint for the world. So if you are married, whether you like the person you're married to or not, it may be that God's got you here because he's saying, hey, you might've jumped into this for the, with the wrong motives, but this is where I can make something good come out of something bad. And that's why I love Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to their proposals, <laughs> their desires. It says the people who are called according to his purpose. Once I know my purpose, do you see the power? Do you see the confidence that Adam would have? Do you see the joy that Adam has? He's doing what God has for him to do, and he doesn't need a wife. And then God brings him a wife, and he's like, it just got better! <laughs> Woo! He's not over there going, I can't do this. I just can't do it. Everything sucks. Everybody else has a wife, and all the others, and oh, I need, okay. Now he's beholden to, to Eve. No. You should, listen to me, 
you should be so passionately following after God that if somebody wants to get with you, they have to pursue God just to find you. God brought Eve to Adam. Eve was busy, or Adam was busy doing what God had called him to, and that's where Eve found him. I, I think it's okay. You can, you, can, you can find somebody in a lot of places. You know? Um, I don't think the bar is a great idea. I don't. I don't think Tinder's a good idea anymore. I know so, listen, I know some of you, some of you found, or we got couples in our, in our church that found online. That's cool, eHarmony, whatever, you know. If you used a mouse to get a spouse, awesome. <laughs> I don't think it's a problem. But where you find, where you find a spouse, or, it does speak a lot to like, what, what is your expectations? Like, let me say this though. This is, we should just cover this. As your pet, let's just cover this. A lot of people dating in church. You're only here because you want to find somebody. I think it's a great place. I think, you sh- I think if you really want to find somebody good, you shouldn't date somebody who doesn't go to church. If you have a church to go to, then maybe God will have somebody there in that church. That's, that's a great place to find somebody. But if you're dating somebody that you met at church, that does not mean that they're the right person for you. It does not mean that they're actually falling after God. You wanna know why? The church has a lot of messed up people. You know I know that? You're here. In the same way that you're like, well, I, date, I, I met him at your church, Pastor. Yeah, and he met you here. I thought she was a good girl. I got, met her at church. Just because they can't doesn't mean they got it all together. Here's what's ticking me off though. And I learned this as a youth pastor, 15 years of working with teenagers and now working with adults, it's the same problem. Same problem that the teenagers have, same problem the adults have. You're dating wrong, you date and you mess up your dating relationships and then when you break up, neither of you come to church anymore. Yeah, it's really ticking me off. It's a great plan from Satan. He gets two people to stop following after God because you dated wrong. You wanna know why you dated wrong? Because you've bought into the world's standards, the world's ideology for what it means to actually fall in love with somebody. You realize that you don't have to and shouldn't sleep with somebody you're not married to. Pastor Josh, you're literally the only person that thinks that. I'm not, it's from God. I might just be the only person that's brave enough to speak it into your life. Well, 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 I mean, I, my, my parents have been together for 50 years and they were sleeping together for, that's okay, that, that's their story. It's not prescriptive. You know people who messed it up and, got, and they're still, cool. That doesn't mean that's God's best for you. A lot of the counseling I do with married couples is because of what they did before they were married and the problems that it brought into their marriage. Save yourself some more. I'm not saying your marriage will be perfect. It'll never be perfect because you're not perfect. Marriage is two imperfect people being together. But if you will learn to get it right here, God will bless it there. But we keep messing it up. Stop dating people and dating them wrong. You're actually being used in Satan's plan to push people out of the church. You should be able to date somebody in church, find out that that's not God's best for you, stop dating them, and still feel comfortable sitting next to them or behind them worshiping God in the same room. But you don't because when you went out with them, you started doing other things with them. You gave away too much of your heart or too much of your body, and now it's awkward. See, what you did is you allowed, now 
the motivation behind it, you can blame whatever it is. It's still your choice. You still did what you weren't supposed to do. And some of you are 50 and 60 years old and you're doing the wrong thing. And you're like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. There's no timeline on obeying God. The thing that you're messing up is you're creating a bond between you and somebody you're not married to. And that is actually only designed in the confines of marriage for health. Everywhere it's used outside of it is actually detrimental. But it's so much fun. Yeah, because the world knows that it's fun for a season and it jacks up the rest of your relationships. What, I, what I'd love for some of you guys to see is that God has a better plan for you, but because some of you are allowing that person to complete you, to be your purpose, to be your calling, to be your everything, to be the, just the, the you, know, you know, I don't know, like the wedding vows, you're the, the marshmallow to my campfire, you're the <laughs> rainbow to my, whatever. They have a power of you, and now when he asks you to send nudes, you feel like you have to. And now when she tells you that she doesn't want to go to church, she wants to go over here, you're like, yeah, I kind of got to. And you feel beholden to them to do things that is not God's best for you. And they pull you away from God's path because you have given them a power they shouldn't have. And that's really sad. And Satan knows it and he knows that's how he gets you. And so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to find more purpose in that, to be content where you are. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And he said this, he said, hey, whatever state you're in, learn to be content. He goes, I have learned to be content, to be okay with wherever I am. And if I'm single, I'm okay with being single. Hear me. He goes, I'm okay being single. Some of you need to be okay with where God has you. Some of you are like, well, I don't want my kid to be single. I want grandbabies, and so they need to get married. Well, mom, dad, maybe that's not God's best for them right now. See, what you need your third walk, your final part, needs to be that you need to walk after righteousness, not after romance. Walk after what God has for you. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness is the goodness that is God, where you look more like Jesus and less like yourself. Your pursuit of being more Christ-like, more even so than your pursuit of romance, is what really is going to make the difference. See, some of you mistakenly, under, uh, you mistakenly believe, whether it's a relationship, you get more friends, or if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, that that romance is somehow, or that relationship is somehow going to fix you. I had a guy recently tell me he had a porn addiction, and he said, man, I, I just really need to get married so I can be delivered from my porn addiction, then I can start having healthy sex. Hey, hey don't laugh, he really believed that. I had a couple tell me that although they were bad at finances, as soon as they got married and joined their incomes together, they would magically be good at finances. I was like, you haven't been married, obviously, because when you get married, you get poorer. <laughs> but see, their mindset was what a lot of you think, which is if I just add romance to it, it will fix it. See, romance isn't designed to deliver you from anything. Marriage won't deliver you from your problems. It will magnify your problems. If marriage was designed to deliver you, God would have sent marriage to die on the cross. Jesus is what delivers you from your sins and from your struggles. You need to start there, pursue that righteousness. And if God chooses to add romance, then step into it going, it's me and it's you. And we are together complimenting each other on this path that God has for us. 
but you walk knowing who it is that God's called you to and don't demand that he brings somebody else into it. Be content where it is and then pray that if God has somebody for you, that that person is also pursuing him and that the two of you can do it and do it together better than you would do it by yourselves. Well, how do I know that'll work out for me? Here's the thing. It, it comes down to who you're trusting this entire journey, whether it's a journey like Abraham or a journey like Samson, it all comes down to who you're going to trust with your steps. You see, Paul wrote it this way about singleness. Paul, who is the greatest missionary of all time, wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. I say this as a concession. It's not a command. I wish everyone was single, just like I am, Paul says. I understand each of you has a gift, a special gift from God of one kind or another. And sometimes your gift is actually designed, God's designed you that your gifting and their gifting comes together and you guys actually do more together. That's the case with me and Kaylee. I like to talk a lot and she's smart. And together, <laughs> we did it, okay? But Paul's saying that may not be, your gifting may shine brighter without somebody attached to you. You might, hear me, you might be able to do more for God single than if you were to attach yourself. If you don't believe that, you should go read stories of some of the greatest missionaries and greatest evangelists and people who've had some of the biggest impact, single men and women, because they, didn't, they weren't responsible for a family. Am I saying the married people in here can't do something for God? No, I'm married. Obviously, God can do something with us. But I'm saying don't be mad and don't be embarrassed and don't be sad that you're single. That might be a blessing from God. He goes on and he says it this way. I say, next verse, I say to those who aren't married, to those who are widows, it's better to stay unmarried. Is this okay to be single? He's saying what you're doing is you're, you're looking for something to complete you, to make you happy, and, and, and you're missing out on the fact that that's all God. By the way, I would, I would love for our church, I can't answer for all the rest, I would love for our church to treat our single people better. Churches have this toxic problem where everybody thinks that it's their spiritual gift to be a matchmaker and play Cupid and be like, let me just help you. So we keep going up to all of our single people, our widowed people, our divorced people, our young people. And we're like, when are you gonna get married? And when are you gonna have a boyfriend? And when are you gonna have kids? How about, how about you shut up? Stop asking them. I'm being serious. Like, do you understand? They're struggling. There's a lot of people struggling to be content in their singleness, and they don't need you pressuring them to step into a relationship that's not God's best for them. I'm serious. Like, yeah, like hey, listen, next, they have my permission. If somebody, keep, if somebody asks you, like, hey, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get a boyfriend? You have my permission. Just say, hey, when are you going to die? <laughs> don't actually say that. I take that back. I take that back. That's actually rude. But you see how rude that is? Don't ask people. Don't put a pressure on somebody. God may not have called them to date. And so they don't need you making them feel bad about not having kids or not having a spouse or not having a boyfriend or girlfriend. They might be in the exact spot that God wants them. Ready to just tear it up for him. And you're trying to distract them. You're being used in the wrong way. You don't, it's not, it's not your spiritual gift to know when God has something for somebody else. You can pray for them and love them up. But let them be there. Because if you're here and you're single and you're hearing this, man, there's nothing wrong with that. What I do think happens is that a lot of us are looking for a relationship to make us happy. And God didn't intend for relationships to do that. He created 
He makes us happy when we follow after him. And a byproduct of our relationships can be happiness when they're done correctly. God brought Adam, Eve, he brought Adam and Eve together because they were used together for his purpose. They were already pursuing righteousness. He added the romance. See, you're not supposed to be in relationships to be happy. You're in, you're in relationships to be holy. As a matter of fact, I, I gave this recommendation a couple of years ago, or maybe not like that, maybe a couple of months ago, uh, on a book that I, I just really think, if you're looking for one to read, read Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Tagline on the bottom says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? What if, I know some of you entered into marriage and, and, and it wasn't your motivation, but nevertheless, you're here and you're married now. What if God didn't put that person in your life to meet all of your needs? What if a happy marriage was two servants serving each other as they serve God? Now my husband, my wife, doesn't have to do everything I need. I'm trusting God for that. And I don't have to get bent out of shape if they fall short. And I don't have to be beholden to do that for them. I'm just serving God and allowing God to use me to serve them. And we can be this beautiful picture to the people around us. What if we didn't mess it up by leaning into our flesh by pursuing our heart. What if we say, God, what do you have for me? This is what the Bible says in Psalm 17, 15. Because I am righteous, I will see you. When I awake, I will see you face to face and be satisfied. Where does my satisfaction come from? When I'm pursuing righteousness. You're never gonna be satisfied. Just hear me out. You'll never be satisfied short of having Jesus Christ at the center of your life. No matter how much money you make, how many titles you get, how many cars you buy, how many girls you date, how many, whatever, likes you get on Instagram. You'll never, ever be satisfied short of finding the righteousness that comes from God. He's the only thing that will fill that void. When you learn that, man, now you're ready to date. Now you're in a place where you can be a good husband. You can be a good dad. You can be a good wife. You can be a good mom. You can be a good sister or brother or son or daughter. See, the world says, put them first, and that's how you can best love them. The world's trying to take me away from God. God tells me that if I put him first in my life, I can actually love Kaylee better. I'm a better husband to her when she's not number one. I'm a better father to my children when they're not number one. When God works through me, he gives me the peace and the joy and the patience and the wisdom and a lot of the things I don't have. I don't have time to tell you the whole list of my shortcomings. But I find them in him. I don't find them in, I hope my kids and my wife make me happy enough today to give me the energy to be the man I'm supposed to be. Because they won't every day. But God has never failed me. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. So if I go to him for that source, I'll never be disappointed. I want you guys to stand up if you would. I want to close in prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Wherever you're standing right now, would you just take a moment to be in prayer? Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Take a moment to take a moment to just reflect on what we've been talking about. And look at to what it is that God has said. As you're standing here, close your eyes, hear these words of Jesus as he looked out at a crowd full of people. He said this in Luke chapter 9. If any of you wants to be my follower, You have to give up your way. Give up your own way. 
take up your cross daily and start following me that way. So in the quiet of this moment, would you just have a prayer between you and God and ask him, God, where have I, where have I been pursuing my way instead of your way? God, where, where have I stepped off of your path? Lord, today, I'm sorry. Maybe he's already poked you in the heart. And what you need is you need to ask for forgiveness. You already know some relationships that you've prioritized over him. And so today you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put my boyfriend, my girlfriend ahead of you. I'm sorry that I made my son or my daughter more important than you. I'm sorry that I pursued a relationship more than you, or it could be anything. Maybe today God's just trying to get a hold of you to relax, to find contentment in him. So maybe today you just say, God, I'm sorry that I've been so wrapped up in trying to find romance that I neglected my relationship with you. I neglected the righteousness you've called me to. Maybe today your heart's broken for a friend or a loved one who's in an unhealthy relationship. Maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe you need to say, God, let me have the relationships that, that display a healthy plan. God, let me love the people around, around me. Let me do my life in a way that pleases you so that there's a, a good example for my kids, a good example for my friends. Maybe you just need to say, God, don't let me be used for wrong. Don't let me date wrong. Don't let me bring somebody away from you. God, don't let me fall in love with somebody who isn't your best for me. Maybe today you just simply say, God, work in me. Change me first. Do a, do a work in me so that I'll be ready when you say I'm ready. And while there's people praying all over this room, there's somebody under the sound of my voice. I know there's somebody here that you do not understand the love of Jesus because you've never accepted the love of Jesus. There's some of you right now that maybe you're listening to this online, maybe you're, you've got a different plan, but you're hearing this and you're going, how can I love like that? How can I, everything about my love is selfish. It's because you haven't understood the love that God created. The Bible says that we can only truly love because he loved us first. The kind of love where he would leave heaven and die on a cross in your place. Until you embrace that love, you'll never be able to love people the way he's designed you to love them. You can't show pure love until you've embraced it. And the only way you can embrace it is by going to Jesus and saying, God, forgive me. Lord, take away my sin. You paid for it. I can't fix it, but I know you can. God, be my Lord, my Savior. Invite him in. As I pray, you pray. Dear God, thank you for the story of Samson. Forgive us for the times that we walk away like he did. But God, thank you that even though we've messed it up, you can still make it right. And so Lord, today we pray, Romans 8, 28, that you can take all of this good and bring it back, all this bad, and you can bring it back for good. You can take all of this and make it good if we're called to your purpose. So Lord, today, let us be men and women who follow after you. Let us care more about what you want for our life. No matter what our friends say, no matter what the other kids at school say, no matter, God, what, what uh, uh, siblings have done, what the world tells us, what movies say, what, what everybody else is doing, God, let us actually do it your way. Let us find a joy and a peace in you. God, let us be the kind of people that surrender to you. God, let us be the kind of people that trust you more than we trust ourselves. God, would you be the king of our hearts, the king of our life, the Lord of all that is. Lord, today we pray that we wouldn't pursue us anymore. God, we pray that we would, 
we would learn to trust you, trust you with our kids, trust you with our future, trust you with our friends, trust you with our love life, trust you with everything, God. Let you be the one in control. Lord, we need you today. Lord, help us, guide us. It's in you we pray, amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.